Welcome to Pioneers, the show where we explore the intersection between humanity and AI. I'm your host, Ankur Patel. Over the last 10 years, I've built three AI startups, written two books about the subject, and I run a weekly AI newsletter. I also regularly teach and speak about the topic at conferences. This technology has grown faster than I think any of us could have imagined, and it's making us ask really important questions, such as how ethical is AI? What will this technology look like in a few years, let alone a few months? And most importantly, does it have the power to truly change the world? And what does it mean for you? On this show, I'll be interviewing the founders, operators, and pioneers that are introducing AI into their companies and industries. We'll be asking them the really heavy hitting questions that make them dig deep into the core of what we do. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Ankur, the host of this podcast, Pioneers. And this week I have a very good friend uh, that I'd like to welcome to the podcast. We do work with him today. Meet Miguel Guerrero, the founder and CEO of Otis. Miguel, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Ankur. I think a lot of our audience would love to hear your founder story, how you got to where you are today, being as young as you are and having the successes that you've had to date. So can you maybe walk us through the, this, the journey that you've had to go through? Yeah, absolutely. I like to think about my journey as something that's non-traditional. Um, today, I work on a startup called Otis AI. It's an it's a automated ads platform, but I actually started uh, my entrepreneurial journey in the gaming industry. So I started the largest Minecraft server in the world, and I scaled it to 5 million users. I got into it because I really enjoyed playing video games. So I played Minecraft with my family um, and it just started growing in popularity because we had a unique approach with a virtual economy and other custom software in the game that made it unique for players. So it started growing organically. We started uh, you know, selling different digital goods in the game and, and ranks and subscriptions. And it just started to grow. And then we, we used advertising to really scale it. And through that, I, I learned a lot about scaling infrastructure and building product teams and a profitable recurring revenue business. And I, I took that knowledge, uh, like the technical knowledge that I had gained from that experience, I applied to other ventures in the future. So the way that I got into small business and the problem that we're solving now is, is I started to learn more about the problems that uh, business owners face, especially with the growth and operations. And I founded a mobile payments app called Taboo, which would allow people uh, here in New York to open and close their tab at different venues. And we integrated with the machines at the back of the bar, at the back of the restaurant. And we discovered that there's so much data there and we use it. We use that integration to facilitate um, our app, but um, that, that insight about the data that these businesses have was critical to understanding what we could do with Otis because we want to enable businesses to be able to use their own data to generate great marketing results and grow. And that's how I met my co-founder for Otis, Clarence, because uh, Clarence, he had recently uh, built and scaled his own online ordering company to 10,000 merchants, and he had sold it recently to the largest payment processor, First Data, in an eight-figure exit. And so we, we came together and we thought if enterprises 
and mid-market businesses are, are buying this data from the payment processor, why can't we uh, take those powerful enterprise level strategies and make them more simple and accessible for small businesses as well? And I think that's, that's a great segue into how automation and AI has really unlocked that. Uh, that's a great journey. Um, and I think it forced you to kind of go through a couple of different industries right along the way, gaming and then um, into where you are today. So let's talk a little bit about ads. Um, you know, obviously, digital ads has have been around for a very long time at this point. Uh, there have been a lot of software vendors that have uh, basically been in this space building building good products. Where do you see is uh, is your opening to go and compete with the existing players that, that occupy the ad world? Yeah, I, th I think a big underserved segment of the market has always been these long tail businesses. So startups, uh, small and medium businesses that aren't spending like millions of dollars a year or a month like on their marketing. And these, this is the area where in, in the tech landscape, there's so many solutions that are out there that are designed for large marketing teams uh, like command centers and point solutions. Maybe they focus on attribution or data enrichment or all of those things. But where we saw a big gap in the market is why isn't there a solution that is more like a set it and forget it kind of solution for the business owner that doesn't have a large marketing team that, that may not have the time or maybe even the sophistication or even uh, the, like the re resources and the budget uh, to, pr to pursue a robust marketing campaign. So how can we make it more iterative, more cost-effective for them uh, with our solution. That's that's really what we're focusing on. And I think the introduction of of a few things like uh, how automation and AI has really advanced in its ability to reduce friction for customers that are coming into these kind of applications, make it easy for them to, to use a platform like ours and, and also drive performance. I mean, that's that's really important. So a lot of people talk about how AI and automation can drive efficacy and improve results in, in, in certain like key specific areas. Um, but but for me, what, what I think is really exciting and amazing about all these advancements is actually how it helps the, the, the small businesses and the long tail take, take the powerful enterprise level strategies that, that, that are so entrenched in like their manual processes and operational lift and so forth and make them really simple and accessible for small businesses. And I, I think w these businesses are going to have a huge increase in their overall growth and potential because of everything that's coming out in that area. No, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what I find really interesting, and this is from conversations we've had in the past, is that Otis was basically the guinea pig, right? So the things that you are doing now for SMBs, you used for your own success in reaching customers. So how did you think about building um, that first product for yourself and then ultimately using that same product to scale to, to more customers? Yeah, I think, I think the dog fooding approach makes a lot of sense, like using your own product to kind of learn. Um, and, and I'm, I'm a big believer in like the lean startup methodology. Right. And, and so is every founder. Um, so just using our own solution and using it to generate results, I, I think is, really important so um but but then our knowledge and domain expertise about uh businesses and their growth challenges isn't just from uh doing marketing for our own business but also because my co-founder and i our families have run and operated small businesses so we we really know what it's like to 
whether, whether it's a, it's a, like a venture backed startup or a more uh, traditional small business, we really know, you know, what those pain points are, what, what tools they have available, what kind of resources they are. Um, and, and we bring that expertise to the table when it comes to how we can help our customers and how we can make our solution better. Um, but, but as you were saying that that's been a big way about how we, um, think about, um, how we're developing our, our solution, because all of these things that are very successful for us on the B2B acquisition side with getting customers inbound through campaigns, how we're thinking about creative, um, and, and partnerships, I think those are things that definitely are going to help the broader customer base. So we want to bring in more, more things that use data, AI, and uh, are easy for to activate for our customers. Yeah, it's surprising how uh, data driven uh, the whole um, ad world is, right? So the better data that you have, you're using that to optimize who you deliver specific ads to, which means you're getting. Uh, better click-through rates, better impressions, better conversions. And the more you know about your audience from all that data, the more um, the more uh, basically effective the ads are. And you could look at that because the cost per conversion continues to fall, right? So it's pretty remarkable how many uh, companies don't use all of that data. And I think having a player like you kind of go and, and develop that layer for them so they could use that data immediately to serve up better ads to the right audience, um, it makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, as you think about where ads are today, um, now obviously uh, the problem that we're having with AI is that AI is available to everybody, which means there's just tremendous amounts of content in all forms, particularly text-based uh, content. It's saturating basically the attention of, of everyone on any of the platforms. So how do you think about really resonating with audiences given the proliferation of content, uh, you know, largely a byproduct of where AI is today? I completely agree with you. There's so much saturation of content right now in, in almost every marketing channel. I guess when you look at like, uh, email marketing or everything. And, and, and I think it's, it's, uh, uh, and, and consumers used to believe a lot of the content with, you know, a lot more, uh, like, uh, I guess confidence, right? But, but when you have all these people that are promising you different things in different ways, it's it's really confusing for the consumer and, and I think they lose trust about the messaging and what these companies are trying to articulate to them. Um, but I also do think that automation and AI has the capability to overcome a lot of those challenges because starting with the data, if businesses are able to use the data that they have about their customers, whether it's from people that have purchased from them before, people on their mailing list, their social audiences, and really target the right people that are very ideal for the business. They don't have to, they're, they're put on a playing field where they're, they're not wasting uh, their marketing dollars and competing against incumbent enterprises that are spending millions of dollars, especially during this upcoming holiday season where a lot of mm -hmm. like retailers and e-commerce businesses are now competing like for the same eyeballs. There's going to be a lot of saturation there. So if they're able to use their data in a very targeted way to reach the type, the right, the right people that are most likely to interact with their business and purchase their products instead of, instead of people that aren't, I think that's, that's, that's a great strategy. And, and that also comes in with the, the, the power of personalization with AI, because 
if you're able to personalize the messaging and the content towards those specific customer segments and the use cases that they're going to benefit from, it's going to have much better conversion and much more engagement with your audience. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Basically, it's finding people with intent based on data that you have in the past, so that they're most likely to take an action that that the user uh, that the person that has the ad desires, uh, instead of just having like a, yeah, I, th- I think that, that that's what I'm board. saying. How like yeah, like people think that because of the saturation, it's going to be harder for you to to be a marketer and and, and share your value proposition with your customer base. But actually, you know, all of these all these capabilities that you now have with your data and targeting and personalization might will actually like make it a lot easier for you in a world that ironically has a lot of saturation and where consumers don't even trust the messaging anymore. And what's your take on, on the kind of how a startup should, or any SMB should think about uh, marketing, right? So there's, there's paid, which, which is what you're doing with ads. There is the uh, basically the content that a company owns because they've created the content and maybe distributed through blogs or emails, um, and then the earned media, right, where where they've gotten um, basically like an external outlet, a third party, to write something about them or post something about them. Now, how should SMB think about the various channels of marketing? Is it you know do you do all three at once? Is there some sort of sequence to this? Uh, what what is your advice to SMBs? I think it's a very nuanced answer because ultimately what's going to make you most successful as a business is to have a robust multi-channel approach where you have rich content, you're successful on, on all the channels that you're marketing on. Um, but we all know that that's not where every business starts out and it takes a long time to get there. And, and with all the challenges and hurdles that you have to face as a business owner, it, it starts with even more basic things like attaining product market fit. If you don't have a sufficient degree of product market fit, it's going to be really difficult no matter what marketing strategy you have to be successful. So I think proving that out is like super important. Um, going back to the lean startup methodology that, that I, I was talking about before. Um, but there's, there's also nuance to that as well because um, I think businesses should early on try to develop that product channel fit, which is like, how can you define like what channels are gonna fit well with your funnel to start generating that repeatable go-to-market motion. And I think many companies don't even do that until it's too late, but the funnel is actually, in my opinion, a big part of your product because if you're able to have that repeat repeatable motion, um, it's, it's material to your product. Um, So I think, I think there's so many stages where companies have to think about how they approach different channels. I think when they're starting out, it's so important to have, or start with, you know, like really strong organic content and really make all the channels work together. If, if you're doing influencer activations or creator activations, uh, podcasts or, or other things to make it work with your paid advertising and, and, and your email marketing and, and all of that, because I think it works synergistically together. That's, that's how you have to be successful in t- today's environment with inbound and outbound strategies. It's not enough to just have one channel where you're engaging with the customer. You have to, they have to see and, and, and feel the touch points on all the different channels they're online. 
No, Miguel, I think that really resonates with me because uh, I think coming from the investment world where you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, you want to be able to have basically multiple channels that, that work for you, maybe they're uncorrelated, maybe one hits really well one given month or quarter, where another, whereas another channel doesn't, it helps de-risk a business. So you're not relying on just one channel that goes dry on you. Um, so that, that makes sense. It's a philosophy that we're taking here at Multimodal as well. And um, yeah, so that really deeply resonates with sort of just my experience. Could we maybe dig into a customer story or case study where you started working with a customer, it was a perfect fit. Um, they got to uh, work with you and, and, and the ad strategy that you deployed for them um, had immediate results. So I would love for you to kind of dive uh, deep into one of those. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess one of the ones that I wanted to dive into is is what you brought up, which was how we use Otis to do our own marketing. And that's a really interesting uh, case study. We work with both B2C and B2B companies, but we're seeing a lot of success in the B2B side. So I think I think, you know, what we were able to do over time is is really improve that strategy. But but it, it took a long time. So when we were starting we didn't have the right messaging. We were getting uh, we were getting businesses that that uh, to 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 the point earlier that that didn't have sufficient product market fit, maybe, and they they maybe didn't um, they didn't have a sufficient marketing budget to for the system to optimize and improve their results in the way that we want to. Uh, so we re really were able to improve the marketing and sales qualification there, um, and and introduce a lot of a lot of um, user generated content. So we work with creators, we work with influencers that, that, that uh, create videos that are very authentic, that people like and engage with. We found through the influencer activations that it was actually more beneficial from an ROI perspective to use the creative that the influencer made for ads rather than paying for them to post it to their audience because there was a mis there was a mismatch between their audience and our ideal customer profile. Whereas when we were able to use it with our advertising, it was very targeted and, and the right content was was getting to the right people. So we started to, to kind of like diversify that strategy with our content. And with Otis, we were able to, because part of Otis's capabilities is to do the dynamic budget and bid adjustments to shift focus towards the creatives or campaigns or channels that are performing better. So to your point about the multi-channel strategy, that's why it's so important for um, maintaining resilience of performance between the channels because things change all the time. So we need to constantly iterate and, and improve to, to generate results. And what we were able to do with the creatives is having a variety of creatives, at least five to 10 that we were testing at a time allowed us to understand which creatives had the more more bids and budget uh, emphasized for them because we would shift towards the, the ones that were doing the best. And how can we double down on those pieces of creatives, look at like what what they're saying in the script and, and other aspects of them so that we can continue to enhance our content strategy and generate even better results. That's only one part of the of what we learned through our marketing, but there's there's so much more with uh, using using the the data as I mentioned the different funnel stages to to optimize for people that are more likely to get into that other funnel stage and um, quali qualifying it very tightly uh, and having a tight feedback loop to continue to optimize. Yeah, 
That makes makes a lot of sense. I love that you're you're dog fooding it from the very beginning, right? Um, I think one of the the questions that that I struggle with, and and I want to see if basically how you think about this is, you know, you're, you're obviously a very sophisticated data driven company, but how do you make sure that the technology that you're building remains accessible, interpretable by uh, non technical business people that uh, that you operate with, potentially even sell into, right? While still maintaining all of the sophistication you have on the data and AI side. That, that, that's a great question because I, I think for, for SaaS platforms and, you know, any, any tech enabled platform, it, it's often easier to add more complexity to the product, make it more complicated as you continue developing. And it, I, it's hard to create, to introduce more simplicity. Uh, but that's, that, that's what I think the complex thing is, is how you obfuscate that, uh, that complexity. And, and with automation and AI use cases in a way that makes it very simple and accessible for uh, someone that doesn't want to use something like maybe that they don't have the time or they, they want something that's easier. They want something that's more effective, which is what our, our customer base wants. Um, so, so I, I and I, I, I draw a parallel to, um, I guess, like video games, right? Um, tying it back to the Minecraft thing, I think, like Minecraft is a game, for example, that that looks very simple um, from the outside. It's, it's just a game where people are placing blocks and doing things. But you can you can like there, there's many layers of complexity underneath it, like uh, circuitry and uh, virtual economy and like all these things that you, you can add on top of it. Um, so so I guess I guess uh, like we think about the simplicity as something that is something that's much harder to achieve because all of the layers of complexity under it is what enables it to be more simple. So I think automation and AI has really unlocked the potential for companies to finally have simple solutions instead of ones that are like the point solutions and command centers that I was talking about before. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think that's equally complex for, for any AI company, which I think a lot of people in our audience are, are thinking about or they operate an AI company where AI inher- inherently is very complex. Um, uh, data is inherently very complex, but ultimately you want to abstract away the complexity so you could sell into um, the mainstream business audience, right? Um, which totally makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And actually, what you- I, want, I like to add to that is that the future of Otis is actually way more simple. <laughs> Because we're still building out the automation and AI to collapse not only the process of deployment, but also improving customer results. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how that how that goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You're trying to make it more, like you have to introduce more complexity while still remaining simple and intuitive for your end user. Yeah. Right. Well, Miguel, what 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 keeps you uh, up at night right now? And I, I don't mean you know kind of the, the superficial stuff, but the deep, you know, existential things that are happening with AI, with ad, the ad world. Um, you know, what is it that specifically is is maybe keeping you up or worrying you to to some extent today? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question as well. So I I think, you know, when I when I think about AI, the potential is obviously positive. Uh, it's creating a lot of value for so many different industries, creating efficiency, allowing people to focus on things that uh, they didn't really want to do before in, in many cases. But but also that displacement is what requires a lot of thought and, and a lot of um, 
uh, understanding and, and planning for all the people that are in this industry, building um, applied AI use cases and creating models is, is how, how, what you're building, how, how, how does it impact um, the value chain of how people live and work today? Um, I think there's so many questions that haven't been answered. So I wouldn't say that like I have, you know, a lot of those answers, but, um, but uh, the way that we think about it with, with our product is we, we, we know, uh, you know, talking with business owners, talking with their marketing teams that they, they, uh, people are spread thin. They, they want to focus on things that are going to drive uh, revenue for the business today and going to save time and help them focus on their bottom line. So if we can help them uh, using automation and AI focus on their full funnel marketing strategy or focus on their business operations, instead of having to optimize campaigns all day, we think that's going to have an important impact in their lives and their ability to be successful with their businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's uh, I, I think it's both both an opportunity and a threat, right? Just depends on how you how you frame that. Um, oh, what's the most counterintuitive yeah. lesson you've? Um, sorry, Miguel. I just want to uh, maybe kind of go deeper into this. So, what's the most counterintuitive lesson that you've learned um, about you know, basically integrating what you do with AI uh, within some of the operations of, of your businesses on the on the ad side? I guess, I guess, so, so I, I guess one of the most counterintuitive things is that, um, well, I guess I, I'd like to ask you, like, what, what is it, what an ex, is an example of in, in your work that, that you've realized is like counterintuitive with your, um, with your, your services and your clients? Yeah. 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 So I think, I think on our side, um, the surprising thing that the, the thing that we've worried about is like, we're going in, we're operating a lot of people centric operations where there are a lot of people doing something, mm-hmm. let's say with documents over and over again. And we thought if we worked on, um, basically automating that portion of their job, that they would be deeply uh, unhappy and they would be resistant to that change. And, um, you know, they would be kind of, uh, internal, uh, like anti-champions, right. They would like push, push against that. What we found, though, is that when we go in, we're, we're, we're automating that function, definitely, like 80, 90% yeah. automation there. But a lot of the people that have been doing this for a long time realize that um, if they could get, they could make their jobs easier because AI is there or some technology is there, it means that they can work on the things that they have always wanted to work on that they couldn't work on. Um, so basically, more complex problems, problems that potentially uh, demand more of their attention, right? So they're actually looking at more of this as a, as an opportunity. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, some people are resistant, but but more people than not, surprisingly, and this is what's counterintuitive, is that they mm. are looking forward for that technology to come in because it makes their lives easier. They don't want to be doing something that's pretty pretty mechanical and routine over and over again. They'd rather automate that and then do more higher value work, which I think if that is what we find more and more with companies that we work with, that's a very pleasant uh, finding. That means that a lot of the people that we, we end up uh, you know, automating at least some of their role uh, for um, are still going to find, um, are still going to be champions of what we do. And they're going to find more meaningful work in the organization above and beyond what they had had done uh, in the past, right? So I think that's that's been a very surprising thing for us to, to learn as we work with the companies. Wow, yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, uh, see that and and agree with what you're saying. And I, I think in the context of of Otis, 
the, the thing that I think is unconventional is, is kind of like tangential to that. It's in like the customer education side because small businesses and small, medium businesses and startups, um, especially with the traditional, you know, brick and mortar businesses, when we were starting Otis, we thought, you know, it would be much more of an uphill battle to educate our customer base about being willing to adopt an AI and automation solution and understanding the value of digital advertising. Um, but, but, but what, what we did find is that there are many shifts in, in customer understanding that have happened over time. Because after we incorporated the business, you know, COVID really transformed and accelerated the digital transformation of businesses. So having an online presence became something that was nice to have before, but now necessary for every business owner to be successful. And, and I think that was a very significant shift that's continuing today. And at the same time, uh, the same thing happened with automation and AI because the, the commercial and organic success of ChatGPT, for example, it really educated the audience about how AI can help them in their lives, whether it's personal, business, you know, any, any use case you can think of. And, um, and it actually helped uh, consumers, I mean, not consumers, business owners understand why it was necessary or, or, or just, just, just started to seek, they're starting to seek how, how they can use automation and AI and apply it into their business, specifically in their marketing. So now we have businesses that are coming to us that know that they need to apply automation and AI into their, into their marketing that, 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 that are very aligned with the importance of digital marketing. And also they know that they need to take control of their data to start collecting their data and use it to drive growth for their business. So I think all of those things is something that happened over time, but, um, you know, it's, it's really been a huge paradigm shift for businesses and business owners. Yeah. It's opened up their eyes, right. To new things. Um, I'm sure you, you've read up on uh, OpenAI's Dev Day and, and what, what they've introduced, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you think is the next big challenge or, or opportunity even for, for AI in, in marketing? Yeah. I mean, I mean, in relation to, uh, open AI, um, there's been a lot of generative AI use cases. And I think some of the things they're working on is democratizing the ability to create new agents and models and, and things like that. So I, I think it's really opened up an opportunity. It's also created a lot of saturation because there's so many people trying to find use cases for, for this stuff. Um, but I, I, I think, I think, you know, in terms of marketing, the biggest opportunity, as, as I mentioned before, um, is how it can make, how it can take these sophisticated upmarket, uh, strategies on the enterprise side and make them simple and accessible for the long, long tail. Because now, now we, we, we have solutions that can make it not only more epic, drive more efficacy for the marketing, um, at a smaller scale and compete against larger incumbents, but also, uh, save them time and, and reduce the, their costs. So I, I think just in terms of how it's going to impact the, the, the overall economy, like it, like, and, and the value creation, that's, that's a big part because, because, um, just, just like how the rise of SMB enablement platforms has made it easy for anyone to go and create an e-commerce 
or retail business, right? Years ago, it would have taken you millions of dollars or maybe tens of millions of dollars to create that robust logistical infrastructure and e-commerce platform to even sell your own products online. Oh, did it pause for a second? It, it might have, but but I got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll just say, like years ago, it, it, years years ago, it would have taken millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars to build your own logistical infrastructure and online presence and the ability to sell products in different markets, right? But but now we have the SMB enablement solutions like Shopify or other companies that are making it easier than ever for people to do that. So I think in terms of the impact of autom automation and AI and marketing, I think that's going to have the same effect that it's, it's not only easier for you to set up that whole infrastructure, but also to commercialize your business, iterate quickly and, and really compete with uh, those, those incumbent mid market and enterprise companies that have huge budgets. And those are the companies yeah. that I think are going to be disrupted in the future. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think uh, compared to a year ago, I think a year ago, um, the biggest companies were already doing AI, right? They had machine learning, they had good data strategies. Um, they certainly had that incorporated into, into their business strategy. They had it incorporated into their products. I think over the past year, so many things have happened on the AI front. OpenAI obviously releasing their APIs, making it broadly accessible, having industry leading technology now available to the masses. And then, of course, the open source movement, right? So Meta releasing Llama, uh, Stable Diffusion, for example, releasing its models, um, and then companies basically filling the void, right? Making it easier for um, SMBs, for example, smaller businesses, startups to work with AI. I think it's, it's starting to level more of the playing field. And I think startups, because their pace of innovation is so high, they're able to take the new technology, adapt to it super fast, introduce into the product. And um, it's probably becoming more of a threat to the bigger uh, incumbents that have been doing AI for some time, right? The mid-market and enterprise companies. Uh, so it's, it'll be really interesting to see sort of how that, that landscape plays out. I mean, these inflection points don't come around too often, like the internet, the advent of mobile, but it feels like we're going through some major um, you know, technolo technological inflection point right now. So uh, I'm very, very excited to see sort of what happens at the marketing front here. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, um, what makes you cringe about um, what people talk about AI these days? Uh, what are what are people getting wrong in your opinion? I I, I think I think uh, I think I, I'm I, you know in in many areas of of AI um, like I'm as confused as everyone else in terms of what is really going to happen in the future in the next uh, 20 years with AI. That that's that's something that's beyond the scope of maybe our current understanding of where things are going to go. But like, what's for sure is that it's going to make our lives easier. It's going to uh, create efficiencies in so many areas. Um, so I think I think. Uh, it's, it's obviously a very political discourse too with, with AI. So um, they're like, people are afraid of AI, but, 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 act, but also people think that it's, will it will save them. Like, 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 for example, uh, like in our use case in marketing, we think that AI is going to save a lot of businesses and allow them to survive and, and be, be even much more successful than, than they would have been able to, to be before. So, uh, so I, I think, I think that 
people are starting to understand how how uh, because in in every in every market there's there's you know the early adopters of 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 a technology and then there's the the mainstream and and the and the laggards um, and and it's starting to reach the laggards I think are starting to kind of get become familiar with automation and AI and how they can use it in their own use cases as well um, so I think yeah I would I would say um, I, I don't typically prescribe to the echo chamber of things if, if people are talking about like the same things all the time about AI and like what the what the dangers are or like what the opportunities are um, but but I hope to add a meaningful contribution in a certain area where where we focus which is marketing and and I think across the board across all of the different industries that AI will touch um, it's just going to be insane what what the what the impact is going to be and and i think the 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 other point that you had just just before about um you know and the uh, the defensibility of enterprises versus small businesses um i think a great example of this is how why do why do senior executives at these companies leave the company create a startup that is disruptive to the company's business model and then sell the company back to the back to it like so that's a really good example of how how small companies that apply technology and ai are are really disruptive so and and businesses these businesses know that data is their defensible moat and advantage in the marketplace one of the things that really emphasize that is uh the 9.2 billion clavio ipo which is the sms marketing solution for businesses because it really emphasizes how business owners know that they need to take control of their data now and use it uh, in that in that particular use case for loyalty, customer engagement, and growth. And and we're and for us, we're focusing on something similar. We're focusing on how we can allow them to do that for paid advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think you're you're spot on. And I think uh, you know when everyone's saying the same thing, it's probably not not um, the best idea uh, because it. it you know, if everyone's saying it, it's it's probably people are taking it as dogma, and um, it's a little bit crowded in terms of kind of building on top of that idea. But but I think you're absolutely right that uh, some of the best innovation happens when you have a very small focused team, essentially a startup that takes on a big idea and and then delivers on it, so executes it really well, and then they create either a big market valuation for for themselves, or in a lot of cases they end up um, securing that valuation, but then I'll, I'll end up selling it to the the existing incumbents, but the incumbents are able to innovate through acquisition, right? And so I think that's a, that's a great thing that is going to play out over, over the next couple of years with, with new AI startups that crop up. Um, I, I'm curious, what's an opinion about right. AI that you maintain that the majority of people, let's say 99% of people would, would disagree with? In terms of how AI is going to impact our society, I think something that I believe that maybe people would disagree with what is the fact that uh, AI and the enhancement that it has on our lives and, but uh, um, the challenging displacement that it has on, on society uh, is actually helpful in ways that it like, in terms of like what you were saying in terms of how business owners reacted to the use cases of automation and AI, they actually didn't want to do those things before that, where, where now AI um, agents are helping them in their business, reducing their operational lift and helping their and their business be more successful. Um, these the a lot of the areas of displacement 
uh, in the on the business side are, are focusing on areas that I think people really don't necessarily enjoy. I think I think people what people do want to do is be their own is is be their own entrepreneur. In so mm-hmm. so AI and and the agents that that come out of AI allow more people to be entrepreneurs. It allows more people to uh, 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 all all different kinds of people to to have more success uh, because they'll be able to pursue their own ideas, uh, create more efficiencies, uh, and yeah, I just think that that the trend that we started to talk about is how uh, enterprise and mid market companies are going to be disrupted by AI. I mean, I I think they 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 do have a huge advantage just because of what data that they have. Uh, available to them that nobody else has, um, but I think small and medium businesses are starting to take control of their own data as well and, and creating that own defensibility. I I think where AI is going to impact people the most is is based on how people want to live and how they want to apply AI. It's not it's not really going to be the other way around because if if people want to run their own businesses, create their own projects and be their own boss and have AI do help them do that and facilitate that. That's probably the direction we're going to go. So um, in terms of people's fears about having to work like under an AI in a dystopian future, right? Where, where the humans are the agents and not the AI. I, I, I just don't see that as being uh, something that's more likely. I think that uh, the world is going to move in the direction where the things that where, where people like what people want to do is is more likely going to happen, but but it's it's going to be a an effort to get us there um, on, on all sides. So um, so looking forward to seeing where what happens. I mean, I love that. I think so often you hear the other nar- narrative, which is a dystopian narrative, right? AI is going to take our jobs. AI is scary. It's going to be the end of the world. Like you hear these types of narratives, and I get it. I think that grabs headlines. But I think what you're talking about is spot on, which is AI is a great enabler. It enables individuals to go and create, execute on their ideas. Using AI, obviously the AI agents being an enabler and executor of the ideas, they can use AI agents um, to do the execution of their ideas, which allows them to go and build businesses or build up uh, basically product or whatever it is that they want to do. So you can see small team or single person entrepreneurial ventures that scale in a way that wasn't even possible, let's say, 10 years ago, right? Um, like for example, 10 years ago, if you wanted to build a mobile app, you still needed mobile app developers. Maybe you use a low-code platform or no-code platform. It would have taken you some time. I think we're soon going to be in a world where a single individual using AI can go and program a mobile app or a web app and then use additional AI agents then to get distribution, to get sales. Uh, and so you start seeing smaller teams actually generate tremendous revenue if executed the proper way using AI. Uh, that is a great enabler, right? That is super optimistic. That's something that all of us could look forward to, um, which, which is exciting. So I'm definitely more in your camp and I appreciate you sharing that view because um, you know not enough people do, right? It's so easy to sell the dystopian vision. Um, well, exactly. I, 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 think, the- I think uplifting uplifting like the bottom with uh, AI and, and, you know, creating a lot of efficiencies there instead of like coming at it from the top down is, is way more of a utopia, right? Like the dystopia is where, is where 
like the AI like turns the human into the agent. That 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 would be crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard to imagine a world like that in at least the near future, given where AI is. AI is helping humans basically exercise their creativity and productivity as opposed to telling the human what to do, right? We, we, we are the ones that have agency over the AI agents today. Um, so because and I'm not saying that, end of the, uh, that it's going to go one way or the other, but I think we all have to play a role in facilitating that vision of, that, of, of what we're talking about, where each individual person has their own agency and ability to, you know, create their own uh, vision and their own dream, basically, and have AI be be helping in that vision. Absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, well, a couple more questions. We're, we're at the tail end of, of, our, of our podcast, but um, what's advice that you wish you could have given yourself at the beginning of your career? The biggest piece of advice would be set the expectations of what entrepreneurship would be like, because when you're an entrepreneur and you're going through all of these different challenges, it it's a roller coaster and many people don't know how low the roller coaster can go if you haven't experienced it before. And there's been so many times, so many failures, so many challenges um, throughout all of the aspects of business and starting a company that one has to go through. Um, and, and I think part of the test of the entrepreneur and if they're going to be an enduring uh, entrepreneur is, is their ability to be resilient and overcome those challenges with a sense of urgency and, and with a sense of confidence in, in, in their ideas and their vision. Uh, so I, yeah, I would, I would say uh, to myself in the beginning of my career to, to kind of be prepared for that and, 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 you know, uh, be, be a listener to feedback because you can learn a lot from other people's failures as well. Um, failure, I think is a great, way to learn and, and improve, but you can just as easily learn from other people's failures as well by, by listening to their story and how they have overcome different situations. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's absolutely right. And, and one of the things that I actually love to do kind of in that same vein is uh, read biographies of, of great founders, entrepreneurs, builders, thinkers, because um, you know you'll find that they had to come overcome huge, uh, you know, huge types of like many types of adversity over the course of their career, and it, people just don't talk enough about that. Not not in the modern press where you see successful IPOs, successful raises, but the struggle, the grit that these individuals needed to get to where they are, that's just not talked about nearly enough. So um, you know, thank you for that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I agree. Where can people find you? Uh, so, sorry, Miguel. What was that? I, I missed that. I completely agree. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. In fact, I wish there were a podcast. Maybe, maybe that's a podcast for someone else to take on is, um, you know, they just interview founders of all types where they just go through the worst experiences and how they overcame that. Because that is some of the most fascinating conversation that I, I just don't think people have uh, have done enough justice to. Yeah. And I think founders should be proud of their failures and, uh, that's why, like, it's great to share your failures because it really shows how how you've uh, overcome them. You know, everybody shares success uh, online and through their through their uh, communication. So I think it just adds a lot of authenticity too. But one other thing I wanted to share too is uh, that 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 brought it up for me is is um, 
the book uh, Hannibal and Me. Uh, it's about Hannibal the Conqueror. It's a Carthaginian war general who, uh, who whose goal it was to to sack Rome, and he was the most successful uh, general of all time by the standards of how he won every battle and uh, was strategic against the enemy. And um, what's so interesting about that story is and how it relates to being an entrepreneur and and in, in anyone's uh, professional journey is how um, this is this is a person that that was very successful in every in winning every small battle, but he ultimately failed to win the war. So I think when when you're an entrepreneur and you're pursuing this vision, it's important to understand that it's okay to lose all these small battles because what what's important is is the is the bigger picture and how you're going to win the war. I love that. That that is awesome. I haven't read the book, but definitely going to take a look at that. So, um, well, awesome, Miguel. It's been it's been great chatting you uh, chatting with you. Um, where can people find more about you or your company? If you have any call to action for our audience, would love that. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. And yeah, if you if you want if you think Otis could be helpful for your business, you can go to our website meetotis.com and and sign up. And if you want to connect with me, um, I'm also based in New York City and love connecting with other founders, business owners, and people that are interesting. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Awesome, Miguel. And and Multimodal is doing business with, with Otis. So we're, you know, we've been happy and excited to, to have that partnership. And, uh, and thanks, thanks for ha- having, thanks for being on the podcast, Miguel. And, and we'll, what I'll do is, now, maybe if we do a, a podcast, an anniversary podcast in a year or two from now, we'd love to see where, where you where you end up with Otis and, and what you're doing at that juncture. But, but thanks for joining the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. This was great.